0: Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Falco. I'm the author of Go Figure: The Astonishing Science of the Female Body. To me, femtech is technology that improves the quality of
1: life for women. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview Lisa Falco, the author of Go Figure, The Astonishing Science of the Female Body. Lisa has been working in the interface between medicine and technology for almost 20 years. She was previously director of data science at Ava, a recently acquired femtech company that was a Swiss femtech startup at one point where she led a team developing algorithms and artificial intelligence in order to help women get pregnant faster by using their physiological data based on their menstrual cycle. Her book, Go Figure, unravels the mystery surrounding women's biology and explains what is happening underneath the surface. We all know that the female body changes cyclically every month during the reproductive years, and that it completely transforms during puberty, pregnancy, and menopause. However, most of us don't know about the fascinating details, like what triggers these changes or what are some unexpected consequences. The facts are as mind-blowing as they are entertaining. I personally really enjoyed reading this book and could not believe how much I still have to learn about female biology. Be sure to get your copy today. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the show.
0: (laughs) Hi, Brittany. Thank you for having me.
1: It is a pleasure to have you. I love reading femtech books. And um, yours was one of the more shocking ones where I was highlighting things all over, taking pictures, posting it on my Facebook and LinkedIn, like, oh, my gosh, did you guys know this fact or that fact? (laughs) I can't believe I've been hosting this show for two years. And there are still really fundamental facts about women's bodies that I do not know. (laughs) That is insane (laughs) to me. Um, I'm sure you get a lot of responses like that to your book. Is that true?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we also rarely take the time to go so deep. And I mean, yeah. that's also something that happened in my own uh, in my own work. I was working in femtech for four and a half years and really trying to decipher the female body. And I, I still didn't know all of this. And it would have helped me so much in my work if mm-hmm. I had known this from the start.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, something we're going to get into the details here is in terms of like why the statement is true, but... I really saw the implications for um, like healthcare and the legal system around women's bodies in the United States, that if we, if we're going to literally make laws that are anatomically incorrect or biologically (laughs) incorrect, I, that was one of the biggest things for me. Um, So before we uh, continue to just fangirl over this book, I would like to learn more about you. So our listeners and I, we always love to hear about the journey, you know, where are you from what did you know did you go to school did you have a career tell us about what you know culminated up into writing this book
0: uh, sure I'd be happy to so I'm actually an engineer to start with an engineer in physics so I, that was kind of a hard thing for me to study it was a bit more theoretical than I had hoped for when I started but then I found this uh, this uh, way of branching into more life science application and also into more programming and image processing and that was a way I really then for the first time I really started to enjoy what I was doing so uh, then I started first uh, in Sweden because I'm Swedish and after my my master of science I uh, moved to Switzerland where I did a PhD on uh, brain imaging so um, I was exploring new methods of finding out how different parts of the brain were connected together, how the wiring of the brain was, and that, that those methods could then in turn be used for for more fundamental research. And I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, but when my PhD was ready, I had the choice of staying in academia, or uh, or moving into industry, and to be. Entirely honest, I always wanted a family, I wanted kids, and I knew that if I was going into academia, I would have to be a nomad, moving around uh, for the coming 10 years, and I was almost 30, so I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that, I want, you know, <laughs> to focus more on, uh... There was a very personal decision, it was because I wanted a family and not, uh, not anything else, so I moved into industry. And started working in a startup that were developing uh, wearables for um, for diabetes for um, to do non-invasive glucose measuring for um, yeah for diabetics uh, and that was also very interesting and during that time I, I got my two kids and um, that that was good and then I kind of stayed in this uh, this feel of the intersection between um, between data science. Actually, it was always about data and signals. Between um, Yeah, so it was between data science and medicine. And this was really the field I loved to be in. And then in 2015, the founders of a Swiss startup company called Ava Women, uh, they contacted me because of all that previous experience I was having with developing these variables, mm-hmm. And they say, oh, we want to do this... Um, yeah, we want to create this wearable and that will tell us when women are ovulating. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's not going to be possible. You are dreaming, you know, that can't be. Um, But these guys, they were so, um, you know, they were so nice and so enthusiastic. I was like, oh my God, I really want to work with these people. Um, so I went home and, and I just started studying and I was starting to read all about, about the hormones, how that was changing over the menstrual cycle. And I realized that, yeah, you know, these hormones are actually driving physiological changes in our body. And it's true, maybe they could be so strong that we would be able to pinpoint ovulation. I mean, of course, there was the, the, the temperature method that has been around for a long time where temperature goes um, up after ovulation. But, you know, there were also some studies, but some very vague studies that uh, the first half of the menstrual cycle had lower heart rate than the second. Uh, Also breathing rate would uh, be different, but no one had actually measured all of these parameters continuously over the menstrual cycle. And I I just felt that that, you know, it was a good moment to me before my kids were a bit bigger and I wanted a bigger challenge. And I really liked uh, the founders. So I just said, yes, no, you know what, I'll do it. I join you. And um, I started there as um, head of data science. And what I was doing was basically developing the algorithms for a first uh, product for this variable that was measuring. We were measuring temperature, heart rate, Ah, uh, breathing rate, different HRV measurements, um, sleep, and so on over the menstrual cycle.
1: So, and Ava Women today is a successful wearable, you know, fertility and contraception company, right?
0: Um, actually, we haven't got approval. Or we, it's not we anymore. I, <laughs> I, but um, it has not been approved for contraception yet.
1: But fertility, it's, at least
0: for fertility, it yeah. is contraception i mean the algorithms are there they're working yeah. but we need to actually prove it in a clinical study that it's uh, it's solid before you can go out
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know it's really has very large consequences. Oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> if you're
1: claiming <laughs> it, you won't get pregnant. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. that's not, like such an important and interesting background that brought you to writing this book because this book is very data driven. You are a data scientist, but the book is for me, um, a really deep dive into like, um, it's like a everyday person medical book about women's bodies. It's kind of how I read it. Like it was in my language, um, but I was learning about facts about the female <laughs> (laughs) anatomy and biology that i had not known so can you give our listeners just a brief description in summary what is uh go figure about so go
0: figure really it is exactly what you said it kind of explains all the mechanism that is going around uh, in in our body how our reproductive system is working all those hormonal interactions how they're all led from the brain And all the consequences they have um, on transformations that are continuously happening. We have, you know, this cyclic transformation that is the menstrual cycle. But then we also have these really big transformations, uh, puberty and menopause. And of course, pregnancy, which is a huge uh, transformation where everything in your body changes, basically. And I try to explain exactly what those mechanisms are, because I think it gives you a lot of comprehension for, for what's happening and also gives you a lot of tolerance towards yourself. Like, why do I feel strange at this period? Or why do I feel unhappy at this phase of my pregnancy? Why do I feel like this is this normal? Is it not normal? And for me, it's a kind of justification. you know. <laughs> this is how I feel. And my book is answering the question, why do I feel this way?
1: Yeah. And, and why did I you really feel was... compelled to write this? Why did you feel like women needed that reason why to explain what is happening to them?
0: I think I feel that women are often not being taken very seriously. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer in physics. I've been mainly... Been around men my entire life. I think myself. I also been, you know, um, guilty of not taking other women seriously because it's very easy to relate to to people that have the same problem that you do. Mm-hmm. But if you don't experience a problem yourself, it is quite difficult to take other people seriously where you simply can't relate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting to to see. For instance, if you have menstrual pains. I don't have menstrual pains, for instance, and then to see that there are other women that can't go to work because they are suffering so much I mean mm. it is a bit hard to understand, but it, you know in my book, I was really researching why that is and and there are they have women that are suffering more, they have much more prostaglandins, which is contracting the uterus, so it's a real thing they're not making this up, and I think it's a very important thing to, to know that it, it's real it's not it's just yeah. in your head even yeah. though it should be enough to say it's not just in yeah. your head but somehow it also knows it helps to to know that there's something more
1: well I mean with the history of women's health being like we just diagnosed every female with hysteria and put her in a well, like a hospital system you know the fact yeah. that we can break this down and say hey anatomically biologically metaphysically here is what is happening it's not in their yeah. head right um exactly. what have been people's responses to your book i
0: mean it's been it's been very positive I, i'm really happy to see how people have reacted and and they seem to learn a lot. And I even have gynecologists that read it that said, Hey, I didn't know this. This is amazing.
1: Gynecologists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not surprised. I'm not a gynecologist, but I literally talk about women's health every day for two years, if not longer. And I didn't know a lot of the facts in there. So not surprised.
0: Yeah. But when I was, I was writing the book, I was studying like crazy. I read everything. Mm -hmm. I went down Allowed myself to go down every single rabbit hole, and I was thinking, No way, this can't be true. And then, you know, I was, I was research. you know, uh, I was really going deep to understand, Oh, yeah, it really is true. My god,
1: that's incredible! Well, let's talk about some of these crazy facts, right? So, um I'll try to keep us on track and everyone, please get the book, go figure. It is amazing by Lisa Falco. Um, But let's talk about some of the things that I found the most shocking um, and just kind of dive into it. So one of the first things I read in there that I was like, I have to question everything is that the ovary is not connected to the fallopian tube what? like that's <laughs> like literally my earrings, my 3 d printed reproductive health earrings are incorrect apparently you know like what are you talking about?
0: I know i I was so shocked when when I read that as well and you know I also had to double check is this really true and I mean, I don't know why that is and and the thing is we don't know exactly how they get transported into to the ovaries you know some some people think it's a bit like uh, um, a vacuum cleaning it in or that there are these sticky fingers on the fallopian tubes that are grabbing them and kind of sweeping them in. But it has even happened that women that only had one ovary left, they they actually uh, got pregnant through the other fallopian tube.
1: What? (laughs) What, Lisa? This is crazy. (laughs) It
0: is crazy. And you know, there's so much we don't know and so much more research that somehow needs to be done so we truly understand this. And maybe there's a very logical explanation uh, Mm -hmm. to all of this, but the, uh, the truth is we don't know that yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned in the book that it was only in 2020, we discovered that sperm move in a corkscrew motion. I'm like, are you for real? It took us till 2020 <laughs> to figure out the motion of the, the sperm. Like we do so much fertility research. We didn't know that it wasn't wiggling and that it was like, no one did a 3d <laughs> assessment of its, you know, physics. It's so crazy. Um, you, so it also provided me with some more understanding of other diseases like endometriosis. Cause I just assumed like well, I don't know how the menstrual effluent gets outside the uterus, but apparently just does just accept that assumption by now that I knew that the, the tubes, the fallopian tubes weren't blocked off. I was like, Oh my God, maybe that's actually how it's getting out.
0: Yeah. That, that's interesting. Actually, I, because I had the same thought as you, but I didn't, I, I actually didn't even really think about that. So oh. maybe I didn't read it in that lens when I was doing that. <laughs> hey, that's a really interesting thought.
1: Okay. Like well, being, it's I like guess. a muffler pipe, right? We're like, it could come out, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So y'all call us, call in, <laughs> it's not a live <laughs> show. Don't call in, email me, but, uh, about, you know, ovaries and fallopian tubes being connected. That blew my mind. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Rosie. If you haven't heard of this female-founded sexual health app recommended by more than 4,500 doctors and therapists, you're missing out, ladies. Rosie was created by an OBGYN and is the first platform dedicated to women's sexual health concerns. Whether you're looking to spice things up, get more comfortable with your body, find a certified sex coach, or feel less alone by connecting with others in a similar situation, Rosie is the right place for you. Visit meetrosy.com backslash femtechfocus to redeem a free month of the Rosie Silver membership package today. You seriously have to take advantage of this deal while you can. I love the app. The Rosie app is changing women's lives. Visit meetrosy, M E E T R O S Y.com backslash femtechfocus to get started today. Now in its fourth year, the Women's Health Innovation Summit returns to Boston on September 29th and 30th. Their mission for 2022 and beyond is to draw upon the lessons learned and consider how to continue to drive momentum in an industry that's gone from being considered as niche to essential. Learn more at www.womenshealthinnovationsummitusa.com and enter promo code FEMTECHFOCUS10 for 10% off your ticket. That's womenshealthinnovationsummitusa.com, promo code FEMTECHFOCUS10. And now, back to the interview. Um the next one I wanted to talk about was there are specific seasons and times in the day when women will peak in certain hormones and when they ovulate tell us about that what seasons and what times and do we know why
0: So we we don't know exactly why most women actually they ovulate rather in the morning um and um it seems to have something to do with the light because it's different on the southern hemisphere and on the uh, on the northern <laughs> hemisphere mm-hmm. and there's some seasonality in it um i mean it there's so we have so many things that are psychic we have this uh you know the melatonin that goes up in the night for instance maybe that has something to do with it mm-hmm. i mean these are very linked to our, our hormonal system in general that's also what's happening to teenagers for instance that they get the shift that the melatonin comes in much later which is why they simply can't go to bed when we want them to go to bed and they sleep in much longer. Mm -hmm. That's also linked to those hormonal changes. And and there are some links there that we don't know exactly why that happens. So we can only observe um, that that is a phenomenon. And we have a lot of information of when women ovulate because of IVF. Mm -hmm. So this is actually very well researched. The fact that this is a, a, it's a real thing um it's sure. uh, the, the but uh, exactly why they haven't looked into so much Because that doesn't help IVF, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're like, okay, fun fact, whatever. Um, Yeah, exact prices, (laughs) you know. But that is fascinating. Maybe for, I mean, women who are trying to get pregnant, like that might be critical information for them. I also just, as an evolutionary geneticist, get really fascinated as to like, well, why, why, why? Almost everything in biology has some kind of advantage or something, or you know. Um, so I, I think to myself, what is it about ovulating in the morning that is the safest or best time or more successful for fertilization? I don't know. Um, so obviously I think almost at the end of every one of these crazy facts, we're going to be like, and we need to know more. I think yeah, we'll just end everyone. A like- <laughs> about <everything>, I
0: think,
1: <laughs> um, Here's another one. Uh, females are a more likely to sprain their knee during a certain time of their menstrual cycle when playing sports. Oh my goodness. Um, I was a sports player in high school. I played field hockey. I'm still pretty active and, you know, exercising and stuff. I did not know based on, you know, where my hormones are at, that I'm more at risk of a, a knee sprain. So tell us about that.
0: Yes, I mean that's also very new what's coming and so I know that for instance some soccer teams that play on an international level, I think even even the US one or is it the UK one that are trying to adapt their training practices according to the menstrual cycle. But a lot of these things are same I, I feel ashamed to say the same answer. More research is needed because <laughs> okay. the, you know the groups are yeah, the the groups are always quite small, but this has been studied in. And uh the, some studies say oh this is a really clear finding, then other studies come in and say yeah, we're not so sure mm-hmm. anymore. But I think if you really start to track your own sports performance with your cycle, you're very likely to see certain patterns. Mm-hmm. And I I I'm I'm a very uh, I do a lot of sports, but I'm not uh a professional athletics in any way, um, and I can feel, for instance, in the second part of the cycle, I, I'm very, I'm much more tired, and mm. you know, my the heart rate is is higher anyway in the second part of the cycle. So of course, maybe you have some less margin to to your max pulse and so so on in that part. And I think it's very useful for all female athletes too to track their cycle and try to figure out for themselves what is working and what is not working. Yeah. And with, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember playing sports and there was like, you know, the hard day, you know, where you're going to run crazy amounts of miles. And then there's like the off day, but like, there was no rhyme or reason for that besides like our, our, you know, societal schedule, but certainly not based on my biological schedule. Um, so that, you know, Wild AI is a, a fitness app that's taking this into account and they're definitely going to crack some codes on it. So I'm, I'm wondering if Helen from Wild AI is also including any injury tracking, because maybe that could have something to do with, with this as well. That would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, I also think
0: this is very interesting that it's actually it's during the phases where there's a lot of estrogen. And for me, that doesn't really make sense because one of the big uh, big things with, for instance, progesterone is that it loosens up a bit the inner musculature. Mm-hmm. So I would have spontaneously thought that that would be more detrimental uh, to, to your joints yeah. and to your body than the high estrogen phase. So I'm very curious actually to to understand the reason why it's in this phase.
1: All right, you sports scientists out there, <laughs> another <laughs> This is This episode is just a giant NIH proposal. Like, hey, here's all these questions that need answers to them. <laughs> Take your pick. Um, this next one almost made me mad, honestly. It actually made me quite upset. I did not realize that we count the first day of pregnancy as the last day of your period. And the reason that that is very significant is because we would literally be calling a woman pregnant prior to her even ovulating, let alone the egg being fertilized. And so this is very the why I got mad about this is because, you know, right now in the United States, we've had um, a leak with our justice system that they're likely going to overturn Roe versus Wade and there, all this nonsense about regulating women's bodies. But the rules that they are making around, I mean, Oklahoma just passed a law that said uh, abortion is illegal at time of fertilization. If we don't even understand when pregnancy starts, how are we allowed to make laws about literally hours, hours of a biological experience, you know, and what hour is legal and what hour is murder, um, quote unquote. Right. Um, So. Just, just give us the look. Quick, four one one. When does pregnancy actually start, and why? When, when are we actually counting it today? So, how much of pregnancy are we not actually pregnant?
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, it's even worse than what you said. Because oh god, uh, uh, no. <laughs> but it's actually, a pregnancy is counted like medically counted from the first day
1: of your menstruation. First day. It is worse. It is worse. It than is even said, worse. Y'all. Okay, y'all. And
0: if you have you know the average is that that you would ovulate after 2 weeks mm-hmm. and then uh, you know the, the egg would get fertilized very quickly after yeah. uh, after ovulation but then it travels into the fallopian tube and it it will hatch in there uh, maybe uh, after a couple of days and then it will continue um yeah it, it continues to travel into the uterus and then it uh, it gets stuck in the um, in the uterine wall and this is approximately nine days after the ovulation
1: oh my so it's
0: actually not and then it starts to produce this um a, this hormone HCG, which is a hormone that you can measure with a test, but then it takes a few more days until you can even measure.
1: And, and you say you be high enough concentrations pre- to even realize it in your urine, right?
0: Exactly. And that if you are like really eagerly waiting, then you can at the earliest know this uh, the day you would normally get your next menstruation. And average is twenty nine days, but mm. I mean there are women that are having um, longer cycles, cycles of thirty five days. That means that you know they have not even missed their first menstruation. When they are legally in week five. Oh my god! So
1: there is. Worse than I even said, isn't it? Women could yeah. be "quote unquote" a month pregnant before they actually are pregnant, <laughs> or couldn't could yeah. test positive <laughs> to be pregnant.
0: Yeah, you know exactly. Oh. So it's not you know that you're 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 being sloppy or not aware. It's just like there is no way you can know if you're yeah. pregnant and for one, for some women that are on this rather longer cycles um yeah there is that's five weeks in that you you would even find out that you're pregnant
1: oh my gosh and we have laws now coming out that is like six weeks after six weeks it's murder and it's like oh my god if she didn't you know it just we, <laughs> episodes on abortion. So y'all, you can just go tune to those, but this is an, for me, was super, super critical to, to tell people about, because, you know, the more that we know about women's anatomy and biology and, you know, physiology, we can more accurately make or not make laws. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we can, I, I, I just, I felt so compelled, like please, dear God, let there be a medical doctor reviewing these legal paperwork and, and marking it up saying that's literally in biologically wrong because I just, I obviously get very passionate about this. This, this blew my mind. This one was the one I was just like, I, I can't go, go to sleep yet. I have to keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's talk about another part of pregnancy I found super fascinating Um, morning sickness. You claim that potentially, and you know, it's not you, like you from your research that it shows potentially morning sickness is an evolutionary trait to try to preserve that early stage of the fetus. So tell us a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, well, it's quite simple, actually, and quite logic if you think about Mm -hmm. it, that, that. you know, the, the fetus really needs to <clears throat> to survive. And if you eat something that could potentially poison you, then, then you would lose the fetus and it wouldn't survive. So the purpose is to prevent you to test new things and be a bit more suspicious uh, towards certain foods that could have a bad impact uh, on your health. So you become very, very restricted in what you actually want to eat. So it's a survival mechanism. Everything the fetus is doing to us is like survival mechanism, trying to grab the most nutrition and even, you know, it's even just forming our brain so that we want to take care of it once it's out. It's um, it's quite insane what's yeah. happening in a pregnancy.
1: It is. It absolutely is. Yeah, I thought that one was a similarly thought. Oh well, yeah, duh, of course, you know, but also. I never questioned morning sickness before. I was like, well, oh, that's just an unfortunate thing that happens. But now I'm like, oh, it's your, it's your protecting yourself, feeling a little less upset about it. Um,
0: exactly. And I think it's almost everything happens, uh, for a reason, evolutionary reason, uh, it's maybe not so, uh Maybe not so sexy, but it's also very cool though. And I think it allows you to be more tolerant towards it. than if you can look at it, okay, this is protective mechanism. I will have to deal with it. Maybe it makes it easier. Maybe not. I was lucky. I, I didn't have morning sickness. So, uh,
1: the next thing I found it fascinating was that breast milk doesn't just drip out, but it shoots out like a faucet. <laughs> what? Uh, like, apparently, the baby doesn't get anything for the first like thirty seconds of suckling, and that that suckling though is the activation to a cascade of hormones, which then releases the milk from the breast into the nipple and it can literally shoot out. I was like, Oh my God, I don't know what was happening between the nipple and the baby's mouth, but I did not realize it was like he, the baby was turning a knob, <laughs> you know, and turning on a faucet. Tell us more about that part. Um,
0: yeah. That, I mean, it's uh what's happening is that you have this milk releasing hormones that is uh, actually oxytocin. This is this cuddle hormone that, um, um, yeah, that every touch that you have with another human being, it releases more of this oxytocin, and that has this effect that it's uh, really releasing the milk and making it spray out, together with the fact that the, the fetus is no, not fetus, sorry, it's a baby now. <laughs> <guess they're> <laughs> We're the person, yeah. Yes, now it's a baby um, that it's creating um, a, a vacuum inside the mouse, and that also create with that vacuum, it's also really being pulled out. Mm-hmm. But it's, I don't know, um, I don't think you ha- have have breastfed because actually all women that have breastfed knows that when then the, the baby accidentally uh, releases from the breast, sometimes you get completely sprayed in the face. As well,
1: so oh my God, yeah, no, I haven't breastfed. You're right. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Mom, <laughs> message us. Have you sprayed your baby in the face with your breast milk? Is that like, you know, I had
0: no idea. No, that's right. Actually, there also I, I had to look that up when I was writing the book. And because you can't really squirt the milk really far. And I was like, how far can it get? Yeah. And I was like reading, uh, I put that in a book as well. I think there were some women that managed, you know, to do six meters. How many, I don't know how much uh, that is in feet. Meters,
1: but- three feet. So six times three. Yeah, but like eighteen feet. Feet? Oh my god!
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's really far. It's an amazing mechanism. (laughs) But the whole, I mean, the whole anatomy of the breast is also something that was only known very recently. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was entirely rewritten uh, in the beginning of the year 2000s or so. How how um, yeah, these uh, milk glands are working inside and what the nuts really looks like. So it's also very new, new mm. science that is coming out there. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's being sponsored. Normally, these things are actually not coming from academia, but from companies developing uh, breast pumps. Uh, that I spend this time doing it.
1: Well, you know what, that's a really common femtech phenomenon is that most of the research now is being done by startups and, you know, seed rounds are are essentially R&D rounds where it's, you're not building an MVP yet. You're building out the data set that you need in order to create the product because no one did the research yet. So Mm -hmm. that does not surprise me too much that that's the, who's doing the research on it. Uh, the next thing I found sho- uh, and, and very interesting, less shocking, but interesting, was that girls today are entering puberty earlier than they ever have in history. Tell us more about that.
0: Again, I mean, there are many different theories why this is. And one theory is quite simple. We're better nourished. I mean, we also eat more. and yeah. And the more fat you have on your body, the earlier you would come to puberty, <clears throat> you need to have at least eighteen percent fat to um, to have your first period, and in order to have regular peers, you need at least twenty two percent of fat. And traditionally, I think, uh, or I don't think I actually uh, know this from statistics that that our children today they they are uh, they have more fat content, and therefore that could definitely be one reason that they come into puberty earlier but then there are a lot of more worrying theories that could be linked to pollution Mm -hmm. that there are more um more um, hormonally active pollutants in our waters that could trigger an earlier uh uh, sorry puberty yeah interesting
1: More research must be done. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: <laughs> the pollutants, there is quite a lot of research. And, and there are actually some places, depending on where you live, you should be a little bit careful where you get your water from or where you got, get your product from. It's not everywhere. So I know here in Switzerland, it's not uh, such a big problem. There are some places in the U.S. where you actually should be a bit careful. Um so I would really advise everyone to to uh to look a bit closer to the region where they're living in and then um, decide if they want to drink tap water or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um we could dive into that too. That's another thing. I'm going to keep myself on track. The last to- last topic I want to talk about is menopause and listeners by the way again please read this book. I tried to pick one shocking fact from each chapter but there was so many to pick from. And as you can tell, we've already, we're over time, but it's okay because I'm excited. Last section is on menopause. So your book says that there's only four species that live substantially beyond menopause or our reproductive years. And it's four types of males, an insect and an aphid. What? And then humans. So, and it's called the grandmother effect, kind of break this down for us. I don't know why I thought like, oh yeah, lots of animals live into menopause, lots of grandmas out there and all different species, but apparently not really the case.
0: Yeah, this is actually very interesting because if if you think that our purpose is to reproduce, it's kind of a mystery why, why we live beyond our reproductive years. And I mean, there must be a reason why we do that. That must have been beneficial to our species somehow. And that is what this uh, grandmother theory uh, comes from. Like what, what could be the benefit be? And in order trying to prove this theory, they, they have been looking at, at, you know, what happens when you have, uh, have a grandmother living close by and taking care of, of her grandchildren. And they have seen that uh, that women... I mean, of course, now in modern world, it's very different. But they've been looking at in other populations, uh, which are a bit less, um, I'd say, um, I don't know what the right word is, a bit uh, less uh, urbanized. Mm -hmm. Um, And you actually have a much higher survival rate of your children. and, And so you can spread your genes much more if you have your mother living with you and taking care of the children and helping you to uh, collect food or make sure that everyone is doing well. It's beneficial for a species. So it's a part of our success factor. So mm-hmm. also women are very important for us.
1: Women are so freaking critical to everything. I wonder, like at this point, I, you know, again, evolutionary geneticist over here. I know that us humans have really... Stunted a lot of our evolution because of other technological solutions. So the example I always give is um, if you wear glasses or contacts, likely you would be dead. Like and you wouldn't reproduce and you wouldn't have a kid with astigmatism and a negative five eyesight or whatever, you know, like you that wouldn't happen. Evolutionarily, you'd be filtered out, right? Um but yet we've maintained your life you're here with glasses you're reproducing kids with glasses um but do you think that there's a because especially in the united states we're such an independent culture like grandparents and kids do are not living together right like as often especially as in early times would do you i mean it would be crazy to think that women's life expectancy would decrease because of the lack of need for a grandmother As humans, because we have so many other like medications to keep grandma alive, right? So probably negates itself.
0: Yeah, I think we we kind of put evolution out of out of play. Commission Um,
1: here, yeah. Yeah, all right, grandma. It's about
0: fifty years. (laughs)
1: Live on,
0: also with uh, with IVF and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm very curious what actually would happen. It takes a long time to see the effect of evolution. It's not mm-hmm. happening over a human. couple of generations. Yeah, but
1: yeah.
0: I mean, that would be very interesting mm-hmm. if it would have been. I've seen this. Um, I read this article once. someone had had modeled what the ideal human would look like if we continue to evolve according uh-huh. to our more basic needs. And, and one of the things that really struck to me was this kangaroo pouch. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been great, you know, to... To carry around your offspring with.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting.
0: So, so humans must kangaroo patches. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: our last question for, about the menopause is that there are actually different um, average ages across the globe in terms of when women go into menopause and Latin America being the, the set of women that go into menopause, the earliest out of all women in the world. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Actually, I don't know exactly why this population is different, but again, there's, and you also don't know if it's an ethnicity that is different or if it's a culture that mm-hmm. is making the difference. Because culture involves diet, and diet has an impact on when you go into menopause. Um, culture, in the sense of, do you smoke? If you smoke a lot, then you, you actually produce more uh, follicle-stimulating hormones, which means that you ovulate more often, and this actually accelerates the aging uh, of your Whoa. ovaries. You will go earlier into menopause if yeah. you smoke, for instance. Um, alcohol seems to actually have um, kind of the opposite effect, um, that you go slightly later. It's not as strong as for for the the, the smoking, but mm-hmm. uh, slightly later. And and some speculate that this could be. There seem to be some correlations between more estrogen and more um, um, uh, more estrogen and and alcohol. So that could maybe be a reason. And also, if you have higher fat content, you would also have more estrogen because estrogen is also being. Uh, produced in fat cells, mm-hmm. especially around the waist. So if you you have a little bit more fat, you're also likely to go later into menopause uh, than if you, you if you're skinnier.
1: So many factors.
0: <laughs> so many, <laughs> so factors, many factors, which makes it very very difficult to say. You know, is it the ethnicity or is it the culture? Yeah.
1: yeah. So cool. So cool. Well, Lisa, we have run through a bunch of really shocking facts that I wanted our listeners to know. Um, But we do have two last questioners our listeners love that will just bang out and then our listeners will get your book, which by the way, how would you suggest they get your book?
0: I mean, anywhere where they normally buy books online. Okay. You, you will find it. I, I don't have a preference. Uh, All
1: right. To, I mean, well, you can go
0: to your local bookstore. That's always a good option and they could order it for
1: you. Cool. Um, Perfect. Well, that, make sure to put the link in the, in the chat, in the episode notes. Um, but so our last two questions is we have a lot of aspiring femtech entrepreneurs that listen. So um, if it, somebody wanted to start a femtech company, what's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating?
0: That's a very difficult question because I think all of that
1: All of it.
0: <laughs> there is so much left to be done. But I mean you Yeah. We're you have to look where the women have the most pain and then try to to solve that. Of course. And I would, you would hope that with this book, I would find it, but I just found that it was so broad and there is so much need. So I would just go out and ask the women in your surrounding and see what is your biggest struggle and then try to figure it out a solution for that struggle.
1: Definitely. Because it
0: can be anything. It also doesn't need to be linked to health purely I think there are some quite interesting initiatives which is around, you know, helping better solutions to help women that are victims of um, domestic abuse mm-hmm. or simply if there are some, um, some jobs that are dominated by women, nursing, for instance, helping their working conditions is also femtech. It's also about improving the quality of life for women, uh, which is how I see FEMtech really playing an important role. So
1: yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. there's there's certainly um there's a there's a new credit card company in the United States called Sequin, and it's only giving cards to women, people who identify as women. And it is actually a debit card, but it improves your credit score, which is very important in the United States in order to buy, get a loan for a car, get a loan for a house. Women weren't allowed to have credit cards till the 1970s in the United States. So women were very dependent on their male partner's credit score to buy a house, buy a car, and she couldn't really leave. And so I see this current day credit card for you know women who are trying to build up their credit. I, In my mind, I f- see it as a way for women to leave an abusive partner, right? Because they have now the the financial credentials to get their own place, their own apartment or whatever. So yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I am bullish on the health and wellness, but I also am very softer on the edges in terms of like, yeah, that let's count that too. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful?
0: Funding. Funding. Yeah. (laughs) It's always fun. But I, I, I'm, I'm really optimistic about the future because I see so Mm -hmm. much bubbling. And I mean, one of the great uh, outcomes of my book is that I have been contacted by many femtech uh, founders And I see their drive and their enthusiasm and willingness to drive this forward. And I think there are quite many, uh, at least here in Switzerland, there are many coaching programs and so on. But what you need in the end is money to be able to do this because those first years uh, as a founder, um, you have to be quite privileged to begin with, actually, to be able to, 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 to take that step if you don't have your own savings. And honestly, how many people can just be without salary for a year or two and to have more ways of financing these first years of entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah. I think yeah.
0: that's, um, that would really help, you know, boost was the area a lot.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. Cause it's mostly women starting these companies and unless they have a rich partner or a partner with a job that has steady enough income, that's big enough to cover all of them. Um, it's almost impossible. I, you know, I don't have, you know, throughout my years of entrepreneurship, haven't had a partner that was able to cover my stuff. And it looks like me doing a lot of dog sitting. It looks like me, like picking up odd end part-time jobs, you know, and people are like, what, you're a doctor and you're doing this? And I'm like, yep, because I'm not in industry. I'm trying to do my own thing, you know? And so it definitely makes it harder. I, I think to myself, How many of those hours I worked for other nonsense stuff (laughs) that I could have been spending on my business, you know, if I didn't have to, you know, ask myself how my rent was going to be paid next week, right? Mm -hmm.
0: No, no, absolutely. And I think that, but that could also be a possibility for women because I think more often than the other way around, uh, they would get some additional funding from their partner's that's maybe more common. So maybe we should yeah. actually take advantage. Of that.
1: <laughs> Ladies, quit your job. Have your partner fund your passion. Yes, I'm all for that. Lisa, <laughs> this has been so awesome. Yeah. Your book was incredible. I couldn't put it down. I had to read through it. Um, it's all, you know, like totally bent and folded and marked up and dirty because I just could not put it down so good. Please get... Uh, go figure. Such an awesome book. Um, get it for a friend, get it for your partner get it for everyone, you know, because the more we know about women's bodies and our anatomy, the more informed decisions we can make both politically, environmentally, medically, all over the place. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my interview with Lisa Falco, the author of Go Figure, The Astonishing Science of the Female Body. Be sure to get your copy today be sure to give this show a five-star review and share it with a friend. Join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org and join the thousands of other Femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health. While in the virtual community, sign up to be a FemPro member for only $15 a month and get access to our assets such as the Femtech Company Database and our self-guided Femtech Accelerator. Keep an eye out for our monthly Femtech book club, which happens the last Wednesday of every month and subscribe to our newsletter. Last but not least, please consider setting up a recurring monthly donation to Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.